0: BYU has had a lot of continuity on their offensive line over the past few years, but this spring ball features a complete turnover along the offensive front. How concerning should that be for BYU fans? And we're also answering your questions. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking it out and being a part of the podcast. Uh, always appreciate you guys, by the way, uh, making sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, wherever you happen to be catching it from. And obviously, we're proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where, of course, the motto is your team every day. And as such, we are your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. All right, let's dive right in. We're going to get to this guys' questions. You guys sent in here in just a moment. But our look ahead to BYU spring ball. We are now just a few days away from BYU getting things going down there in Provo. And looking forward to being out there covering things this spring. I've got some plans to upgrade a lot of what we're doing in terms of our coverage, better video, better better audio from practice, all that type of stuff. So get excited for that. It should be a lot of fun. But wanted to talk about a position group that I think doesn't get enough love. And especially this spring is gonna be a critical time for them to figure some things out. And that is the offensive. Line. Obviously, the O line is not necessarily the most sexy position out there, but we all know if you don't have an offensive line protecting your guys and opening holes for the running backs and making sure the quarterback has a clean jersey, it's going to make life very difficult for any offense to have success. BYU, the past three or four seasons, really has had a ton of continuity along that offensive front. A lot of guys who have started a lot of games, or who, excuse me, who had started a lot of games obviously, have moved on now. Obviously, you have Blake Freeland, who's going to be in the NFL Combine this weekend, uh, standing out at left tackle. Clark Barrington, who we all thought might be going to the NFL, decided to transfer to Baylor. You obviously lose Joe uh, Tukuafu, as well as Harris Lachance at your right guard spot. They were kind of rotating there. And then at right tackle, uh, you had Kingsley Sulamata'ia there, but also he was competing for time with Campbell Barrington, who ultimately decided to transfer uh, uh, to Baylor, excuse me, before his older brother Clark decided to join him there. So there's been a Ton of turnover all of a sudden along BYU's offensive front, and this spring is going to be very critical for them to settle on at least I think five, six, seven, eight guys they feel like are going to be their lead guys going into the fall. Like I mentioned, there was a ton of turnover with this unit after a really long run of very little turnover relative to how a lot of other programs operate. So the I guess we'll start off with this: BYU does have two established guys that they can build around on this offensive line. Those two guys in my mind are Kingsley. Who I think is bound for the NFL potentially as soon as next year's NFL draft or so the 2024 NFL draft, I think he makes the move to left tackle and should fit in just fine at that left tackle spot. At the very worst, if left tackle is not working for him, he reprises his role at right tackle and he should be just fine there. Also, you have your man in the middle, at least on paper, in Connor Pay. Now, Connor is capable of playing any position along the interior of BYU's offensive line. So if Paul Miley, the graduate transfer from the University of Utah, who is not a big dude? Uh, Paul is uh, six foot two, if I'm not mistaken. Is what they list him at. They listed him at 300 pounds at Utah. But I'm going to be frank, folks. If he's 300 pounds, I'll be f- stunned. He's not a big dude, but he's a great technician, and it may very well be the case that he has to play at that center spot. I think Connor Pay is more than capable of slotting over to left or right guard to make room for him. But at least you have Connor Pay and Kingsley Suwantoia there to kind of be okay. Two of your three guys or should be locked in no matter what the position they play in. They should be day one starters for BYU. That re- leaves you with three three positions to fill. I think that you're going to see Lee tie tie start to emerge this spring. It's going to be very critical for him to do that because at the tail end of last year, Aaron Roderick stood in front of the media and was asked, okay, who is one of your favorite guys that has not necessarily been getting as much love this year? And the first name out of his mouth, excuse me, his mouth, was this young man. And that's the thing about this. It's a huge opportunity for him to go out there and prove his coach right because Aaron Roderick said that he thinks that Ty has NFL capability in him. Does that mean he ends up playing at right tackle or a guard spot? No matter what, I think that he should be pushing for a starting job coming out of spring ball or it's kind of gone awry for him, it feels like. Also, you're going to bring in guys like Ian Fitzgerald from the Transfer Portal. He is a guy who's got one year to get it right at the Power 5 level. He is betting on himself being a guy that can start right away. And I think at right tackle or right guard, he fits in just fine. Or even then at left guard, he possibly fits in there. And then the other name in terms of the transfers coming in is Waylon Lapuaho, The former Bingham high star started all 13 games. If I recall correctly up at Utah state last year, got a ton of experience and should be able to use that experience to come in and compete right away for playing time, either at guard or at potentially at center. If BYU ultimately feels that's his best spot. So there are, those are five names I threw out there. Excuse me, six names I should say. Uh, that should be in the mix right away for BYU along this offensive line. And I didn't even mention guys like Braden Kime Kime's a former preferred walk-on who's really developed himself into a nice player. He has played some in his career, actually has started a couple of games for BYU when they dealt with some right tackle injuries during the 2021 season. But he's a guy that cannot be discounted in this race. His institutional knowledge, his experience in this offense should give him an opportunity to go out there and compete. And the other part about this is along the offensive front, there's a lot of young guys as well. Sonny Maccasini comes to mind as one one of the guys who could be a road grader at guard for BYU if he has grasped hold of this offense and he's in shape and ready to roll. But there's a number of other guys. Jake Griffin is a uh, high-level four-star prospect. BYU signed out of Arizona, coming back home off of a mission. How quickly can he kick mission rust and be able to get back out there and show what he's capable of doing? And I could go on and on down the list, but the bigger uh, point I'm trying to make here is that BYU's offensive front is going to have a lot of work in front of it in spring ball. You're probably going to hear, and I will report on this, about different conversations. Combinations of that offensive line. And I would take them all with a grain of salt. I mean, I'm telling you, take a grain of salt with anything that I report. Unless I hear it from somebody on the inside who is far more in the know than I am, our quote unquote practice insiders. I'll be sure to report anything I hear on that front. But with anything I observe along that offensive line, expect it to be a fluid situation. I very well could see a, a scenario in my mind where uh, Monday, when BYU takes to the practice field for the first time, their starting offensive line from left to right ends up being Kingsley Suamati at left tackle, Connor Pay at left guard, Paul Miley at center, at right guard uh, either Ian Fitzgerald or Lee Salatai, and then at right tackle, whichever the two of Ian Fitzgerald and Lee Salatai is at right tackled. I can see that being the starting five for BYU, but that does not mean that Braden Kime, Waylon Lapoahu, as I mentioned, any other of the young guys, Sonny Maccasini, who I've already mentioned, etc., could not enter into the fray and be a factor in all of this. It is going to be a very, very interesting time for Daryl Funk and his offensive line to go out there and show what they're capable of doing. Do they have the capability of being just as good as they were a year ago? Yes. I think on paper that there is the talent there to be as good as a year ago, and a number of you would say, Jake, they weren't that good last year, so they should be able to surpass that maybe they will but there is a ton of unproven uh i guess potential out there because they have not worked together in a unit like i said waylon lapo waylon lapo coming from utah state paul Miley from utah ian fitzgerald from missouri state there are transfers into the program that are obviously gonna have to mesh and gel with their teammates and get on the same page Offensive lines succeed when they work as a unit. When all five guys work in concert with one another, that's when it is working at its absolute best. The problem is, and there were times of this last year with BYU's offensive line, when it felt like maybe two or three guys were working in concert with one another, but the other two or three that weren't on the same page as them, it failed. And that that is when issues arise. And especially the way that BYU runs their offense, especially in the run game that wide zone uh, concept where essentially the offensive line, the whole concept of that wide zone scheme is that they all will step and move in one direction in concert with one another so for example, they will call it zone right, where every offensive lineman at the snap will take one or two steps to the right, literally in concert with one another and the, the whole idea of it is you step into what they call a zone and if you have an, a guy, a defensive player who ends up in your zone, that is your guy to block. Obviously at, at the pre-snap alignment, you'll look at that and you'll have an idea of which of the guys you're probably going to end up blocking on that given play, but until you really get into the fray and work together in terms of the timing and the overall nuance of running this, especially with the running backs understanding that they have to read off of these offensive linemen, it's a critical, critical spring for them to all get on the same page. It's unfortunate that Aiden Robbins will not be available to work with this offensive line, but guys like Hinkley Rapati and Miles Davis have already run this offense. They know what they're doing in this zone scheme, so they at least should be able to make 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 better reads, and give the offensive line a better feel for what a running back who understands this offense inside and out is capable of doing. So it's a very, very interesting uh, thing to watch and to monitor during spring ball, and obviously I'll be out there covering it, and I think it's going to be very important for BYU's offensive front to show a lot of improvement this spring because, like I said, there's a lot of turnover there and they've got to make sure they settle on, I think, a rotation, hopefully at least on paper, of seven or eight guys as they head into summer and obviously getting ready for training camp coming up in August. All right, coming up in just a moment, it is your guys' time to shine. Your time to ask the questions. I will respond with as much intel as I possibly can muster on any and all queries you've got for me. We'll get to all of those in mere moments. First, a word on our friends over at FanDuel. Obviously, uh, the NBA season is coming down the home stretch, my friends. Now is the best time to launch in and get in with our friends at FanDuel. Download the app today. It's America's number one sports book. The best part is new customers are getting what they call a no-sweat first bet. We can get you up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win. The best part is you can get started by just downloading the FanDuel sports app today. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. The best part is you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. And if you want to bet on uh, Major League Baseball or any other sport out there, FanDuel has got the option for you guys. The best part is they also let you Combine your bets for a bigger chance at a payout with a same-game parlay if you're interested in that. So don't miss out on the chance to get your no-sweat first bet right now from our friends at FanDuel by going to fanduel.com. Once again, that's fanduel.com to learn more now. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show and being a part of it. Uh, today's show is brought to you in part uh, by our friends over the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Well, I want to encourage you guys to make sure you check it out. It's a brand new podcast here on the Locked On College channel, getting you up to speed on everything. Of course, it is March. The madness is just beginning, my friends. So get up to speed on everything going on in college hoops with Locked On College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, uh, quick word. Uh, by the way, apologies for this coming out a little bit later on Thursday. Thursday, had some dad and family duties to attend to on Wednesday night when I typically record these podcasts, but getting it to you as soon as I possibly can. Gonna have a very fun episode tomorrow. Actually, a crossover edition with Locked On Utes. JT Wistersill, good friend of mine and host of Locked On Utes. We went back and forth on BYU and Utah, uh, Pac 12 versus Big 12. We even talked about the Combine for former Utes and Cougars. Fun show. So stay tuned for that on a Friday uh, of the of the podcast. So, like I said, it's a crossover edition between Locked On Utes and Locked On Cougars. All right. Time for your guys' questions. Time for you guys to shine right here on Locked On Cougars. First question coming in from our good friend Garrett at SF. Garrett says, What younger players on the roster do you think can climb into the two deep depth chart this coming season and make an impact? That is a great question, Garrett. One guy that I think can absolutely make a move up the depth chart just simply due to the fact with this new uh o- excuse me, not offense, new defense BYU is. Gonna- Going to be running, I would keep an eye out for Isaiah Moa. Ice Moa has been a phenomenal player at the high school level. Came in and didn't really necessarily fit, I think, the idea identity of what BYU's defense was a year ago. Obviously, as a true freshman, you're trying to uh, not drown from just the overwhelming nature that is college football making that transition. I think he's better suited in this defense that Jay Hill is going to run. Keep an eye on him. Similar to him, another guy who I would keep an eye on is Bodie Schoonover. He has returned from a mission, looks absolutely like Hercules out there. He's just a a chiseled athlete. I don't care where he plays. Linebacker, defensive end, stand-up rush end, whatever you put him at, Bodie Schoonover should have the capability of being an impact Guy for BYU. So those are two guys I think on the defensive side of the ball to keep an eye on. I would also keep an eye on Michael Daly and John Henry Daly when John Henry gets home from his mission. They are elite pass rushers from Lone Peak High School. BYU's got guys with potential as pass rushers. The problem is I've talked about guys with potential in the past and we have seen little to no production. Potential needs to meet production for BYU on the defensive side. Now, on the offensive side, a couple of guys that I would keep in mind are, are guys like I mentioned, Sony Mocassini on the offensive line. I think he's got capability of being a, a nice player for BYU, at least a depth piece at, at minimum along that offensive front. I think Waylon Lapuaho, if he gets up to speed pretty quick with his starting experience already at Utah State, he's a nice piece to have as just a true sophomore playing for BYU. I'd also keep an eye on Jake Retzlaff. Uh, as a junior college transfer coming in. He's expected to push Keaton Slovis. You know, obviously, you're expecting Keaton Slovis to be the guy this year for BYU, but left as a junior coming in, I know that uh, sounds like he's an upperclassman, but he's not been in the program. He's expected to get up to speed quick and hopefully compete right away. And then I guess one other name I would keep an eye on is any one of the younger wide receivers in BYU's position group there. It feels like every year, one or two of those guys emerges during spring and really becomes a player. I don't necessarily know who to put name-wise out there, but keep an eye on that wide receiver group because they obviously Fessy Satake does an incredible job developing talent keep an eye on that unit and expect one or two of those guys to really establish themselves this spring all right next one coming up Nick Chadwick, our good friend, Nick Chadwick, 15, says after seeing Josh Wilson leave, how many players do you see leaving after spring ball? And so first off, I think that Josh Wilson, uh, it was decided it was time for him to move on. I actually don't think you'll see as many guys leave the program after spring ball as you might expect. I think you'll see a handful. I wouldn't expect more than 10. I think 10 would be crazy to see that many guys leave. I'd probably peg it around three to five guys leave. Now the other part of your question says, how many players does each side of the ball do you think that the Cougars need? He says that one, two wide receivers, this is Nick, Words one to two defensive linemen, one to two linebackers, two to three safeties, and cornerbacks would be my hope. How much improved on paper is our defensive staff from the last bunch? Well, I'll tell you this on paper this defensive staff blows the previous staff out of the water, and that's no offense to the previous staff, they had their bona fides, but what they didn't have is a proven track record as a defensive coordinator and a head coach like Jay Hill. That's the thing about this, and by the way, the other thing about this is uh. Kelly Papinga, former defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator at Virginia. Justin Enna has been a defensive coordinator at Utah State. He, these guys have the goods in terms of what they have done. Sione Poa was actually considered one of the best defensive tackle coaches uh, during his time before he decided to move, move along with other things before coming back to the coaching ranks. So there's a there should be a lot to be excited about from the defensive staff. Now, in terms of what BYU needs, I actually don't think they can take as many guys as you think, Nick. I think the roster might be getting a little too jammed as they as much as you might think i think the targets in the transfer portal during the spring period will be at wide receiver defensive backfield and then maybe linebacker i think those are the ones that you should you should target i think there'll be one wide receiver one corner one safety and maybe one linebacker four guys i think they end up being added to this roster I could be completely wrong about that. That's kind of my read on the situation currently. Up next, Daniel Rigby at Please Don't Cheese with Z's instead of uh, S. But uh, Daniel says both BYU basketball teams saved their worst for last in the West Coast Conference swan song this year. How will this affect both teams going into the Big 12? What changes need to be need to be made to be competitive in the Big 12 next season? Uh, do you have a million dollars to invest in NIL for the basketball program, Daniel? That would change a lot of things, especially on the men's basketball side of things. It's uh, it's it's an arms race. You have to be able to quote unquote afford players. You have to give them the NIL money they're looking for, and that's going to be easier said than done at BYU because BYU wants to do everything in accordance with how the NCAA wants things done. They're obviously not going to cut corners. If they are, BYU, they're not going to be happy about that. I, I'm not saying that BYU is, but I'm just saying that's how BYU operates. I actually think the women's basketball team, the recruiting class that they have put together on the women's side of things this year gives me more hope for BYU women's basketball in their first couple of seasons in the Big 12 than the men's team. And that's nothing against Mark Pope. Mark Pope has had a tough season, and he's obviously been talking about the youngsters, the young youth on his staff, and staff, on his roster, and what he's trying to get going here, but Man, it, it, it's a bit scary to consider the notion of going up against what the, is the best basketball conference in the entire country, and it's only going to get better. Programs in the Big 12 are investing gobs and gobs of money into their basketball programs. Is BYU willing to keep pace? That is going to be critical for BYU's chances. Competitive in the next season? I think you're uh, you're, you're asking for a lot, Daniel, if you think you're going to be competitive next year. I actually just enjoy the fact that Teams like Kansas are, in theory, coming to Provo. Just enjoy that. The wins and losses – Eh, maybe a little uh, skewed in terms of more L's than W's, but we'll see what happens. All right, next one. Brendan Smith at Top Gun Brendan says, does Triori deserve more credit for playing a five spot all year long on the basketball team? He says, also, you need to let that young man shoot. One attempt from three this season isn't enough for me. A three ball or mid-range jumper would open up his game so much more underneath the basket. Brendan, all I can say is amen and amen. You got to give a ton of credit to Fuseni Triori, who stands 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. I know his wingspan, they say, he makes him six. Uh, play a like he's 7-1, but you can't teach height. And that's the one thing is he, he just lacks in the height department, but he was very good in that five spot. And I agree completely agree with you. He needs to develop an outside jumper. Maybe not all, all the way out to the three point game, but his ability to maybe hit like an 18 footer from the baseline, etc., would open up so much more for BYU's offense. And like I said, mentioned, uh, Brendan, giving him an opportunity to play on the interior with more effect. He's a phenomenal player around the rim when given the correct spacing and the opportunity to go in there, the bigger problem is it feels like too many times his lack of outside shooting uh, allows teams to say we're going to just sink off here, we're going to sink back to the rim, you'll come to us and we'll block you when you you get there. That's a very very tough thing there. All right, uh, a couple more questions here. Ryan underscore Welling here asking, what is the status of Chaz Ayu Is he finally healthy? Now Ryan, I don't know and I'll be obviously hoping to learn that when BYU opens spring ball the hope is that he is going to be healthy but at this point with Chaz Ayu can you really bank on him staying healthy for any period of time. And I'm not trying to make it a, a bad thing about Chaz. It's out of his control in many respects. Injuries are flukes, and he's had a really, really rough run with regards to the injury bug that he has dealt with his entire BYU career. When Chaz has been on the field, he's actually been a fairly effective football player, but similar to guys like Jackson McChesney, who when he's been out there has been effective, it's been too far and few between. He does not play a ton, speaking of Chaz, and he's dealt with numerous injuries in the past two years. Can you bank on anything from him at this point? If you can get anything out of him, that's probably the hope, is that you just get something out. Out of him because at this point expecting him to be a starter that type of a deal just seems like uh, it seems like a, a pipe dream that's the thing about it it's just a pipe dream to consider him potentially doing that but we'll find out it'd be very interesting all right final question here comes from nick lee and this is a fun one it's off the off the page a little bit uh nick says uh, enough with the byu chit chat jake what is in your golf bag what driver are you striping what irons are you appearing the important things let's get to that now nick i'm still actually rocking my tailor-made m4 driver I love that thing. i, I I just hit it well. It's one of the drivers that I mesh with. I actually never was a tailor-made guy. I know I'm getting into golf talk here, but I absolutely love that driver. The goal this year, though, is to find a new driver and add it to my bag. I love my Ping I-20 irons. I just I, I hit them extremely well. I'm a guy when I find something in the golf world that works for me, I kind of stick with it probably for too long in many respects. I kind of uh, play them past their expiration date, so to say, but it's still fun. And uh, thank you for reaching out. We need to go play, Nick, by the way. You got to get down here to Utah, I got to get up to the Pacific Northwest. Got to get out and play around. It'd be fun to, and by the way, any of you out there who are golfers, and if you want to golf this coming spring, if we ever get rid of this snow here along the Wasatch front, hit me up. I'd love nothing more than to get on the links with you. We can talk some BYU, hit some shots and have some fun along the way. It should be a lot. I think it'd be a good time uh, to hang out with some. Maybe we can make that a thing, uh, like a Friday foursome with locked on cougars or something like that. We'll, we'll, we'll delve in that. Maybe we can find somebody, a local golf course to sponsor that. Who knows? We'll work on that. All right. Uh, coming up next, though, we will round out today's edition of the podcast with a waltz down memory lane uh, about one of the 155 games BYU played in their independent era a road trip to Camp Randall and Madison, Wisconsin. I actually made this trip alongside BYU and excited to talk about that. We'll also catch up on some of the other news and notes involved in BYU athletics here momentarily. First, a word on our friends over at UCCU. Right now, uh, UCCU wants to make your family's dream of owning a home come true by making it more affordable. My friends, right now, UCCU is offering low seven and ten year ARMs with rate inflation protection. An adjustable rate mortgage, or ARM, for short, comes with an initial low rate for seven or ten years. After that, it adjusts to a rate that fluctuates based upon the market. The big advantage of an ARM is that it comes with a low and uh, excuse me, it comes with an initial rate that is much lower than a conventional mortgage. Mortgage. And with this lower rate, an arm gives you more purchase power than a traditional mortgage. Think about that. In fact, you could get up to 10% more house with an adjustable rate mortgage for the same payment as a conventional loan. It seems like a very interesting uh, proposition here, my friends. Plus, an adjustable rate mortgage can make qualifying for a mortgage loan easier for first-home home buyers as well, especially with how crazy the interest rates and markets have been. To learn more or get an arm started, simply visit uccu.com, select the arm that works best for you, or stop by any UCCU branch today. That That's UCCU, love where you bank. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Perry Homes. Whether you're looking for your first home or you're ready to upgrade to your dream home, Perry Homes has a house for you, my friends. For 50 years, Perry Homes has been Utah's premier home builder with communities throughout the state. They have many communities, home designs, and price points to meet your needs. They have beautiful communities in Davis, Salt Lake, Tooele, and Utah counties, as well as multiple communities down in Washington County near St. George. Perry Homes offers over 50 unique home designs from Ramblers to two-stories to townhomes. They even have quick move-in homes available if you're ready to move right right now. And the best part is they're offering generous financing incentives through their preferred lenders. So get started today, my friends, by visiting Perry Homes. excuse me, PerryHomes Utah.com to see what's new in Utah's finest. Ta- da- da. Let's start that over again. Visit PerryHomesUtah.com to see what's new in Utah's finest neighborhoods. That's PerryHomesUtah.com. For 50 years, Utah has been coming home to Perry Homes. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. I love when I screw up ad reads, but nonetheless thank you for checking us out. It's the joy of doing a podcast every day. I'm not going to go back and edit that out. I'm going to leave that in there. You guys can see how the sausage is made a little bit behind the scenes, but nonetheless, thank you for joining us here. All right, before we go on today's show, we've been talking about the 2013 season for BYU, and BYU was on a little bit of a roll as they got uh, ready to head in to Madison, Wisconsin on November 9th, 2013. BYU is 6-2 coming off of uh, the heels of a four-game win streak. Really, really nice run for Taysom Hill especially, uh, BYU is going up against a very, very good Wisconsin Badgers team. Now, this Wisconsin Badgers team was coached by former USU coach Gary Anderson. We all know that Gary went to Wisconsin for a time and had some uh, very uh, good teams during his time there, albeit not necessarily, I guess, the world's best teams because they didn't necessarily compete as, as high a level as they wanted them to in Wisconsin before he ultimately bolted for Oregon State. But Taysom Hill went, kind of went back to what he was earlier in the season in this game. BYU ultimately lost this game. 27-17. to 17. Uh, Taysom passed 19-41, uh, to 41, 207 yards, two touchdowns against one interception, five yards per average on his uh, passes, just not good enough. Uh, also, Jamal Williams was bottled up, just 76 yards rushing in this. BYU as a team had 163 yards. But Wisconsin, James White uh, just absolutely dominated in this game, and Melvin Gordon also. Both of them ended up being, I believe, NFL backs. Uh, they combined for 229 rushing yards for Wisconsin. James White also had two touchdowns on the ground. And they ran away with this one. Speaking of Wisconsin, they just kind of played keep away in the final stands of this game. I remember uh, watching this game. Uh, I was actually in the stands in the upper part of Camp Randall Stadium along side, some buddies watching this game. And I, I've got to say this. Madison, Wisconsin, and Camp Randall Stadium is a must-go. If you have an opportunity to go watch a game there, no matter if it's BYU playing there, which I, I had the opportunity to do that, but the opportunity to go see BYU and Wisconsin play in Camp Randall was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, it feels like, for me. and I, I Honestly, I would go back in a heartbeat. The jump around between the third and the fourth quarters, that stadium legitimately shakes. Uh, we actually had a chance to, we could see from our perch where we were sitting into the press box. The TVs in the press box were swaying. It's absolute insanity there at Camp Randall Stadium. It is one of the true iconic venues in this sport, and I had an absolutely phenomenal time visiting Madison, eating the food, uh, talking with people. The the people there were absolutely phenomenal as well. Frat Row was just outside of the stadium, and of course the students were having a great time as they are having their keggers uh, leading up to the game. But the crazy thing about this was is this game, it felt like, okay, if BYU can go in there and get this type of win, it might validate a lot of what BYU is doing, but unfortunately they were unable to do that. And that, that's the thing about it is BYU had an opportunity on the table in this game and just could not get it done. They fell behind 17-3 at halftime, rallied to 14 points in the second half, but uh, Wisconsin just was too good on this game. Like I said, kind of played keep away late in this game. I also recall, uh, if you, if many of you might recall this, uh, it was uh, Mitch Matthews went up for a pass, if I recall correctly, late in the fourth quarter of this game, came down on his back, and it looked just like a brutal hit because it was a cold game. I was wearing, I think, four or five layers out there, and it was still cold. Wisconsin in November is not necessarily the warmest place in the entire world, and we're going to talk here in, in a day or two about BYU going back to Notre Dame in the middle of a snowstorm uh, in that 2013 season just a couple weeks after this, but it was just crazy. Mitch Matthews went up and I uh, tried to catch a pass. He may have caught it. I don't remember exactly if he did or not, but he came down, and ultimately we found out later on he actually fractured the, um, what do you call that, the, the, the scapula, the, what's the the your I don't know, shoulder blade. That's what it was. Whatever the technical term for the shoulder blades, he broke that. If I recall correctly, I had never heard of somebody breaking that bone until that instance. And maybe I just had missed out on people doing that in the past, but it was almost like exotic injuries. Like, Ooh, that sounds awful. But at the same time, it's one of those things. It's just kind of the, how, how things went in this game for BYU. We'll talk about how things went in their next game as they bounce back with with a win, but we'll get to that on Monday. Cause like I said, tomorrow is going to be a special crossover edition with locked on Utes. JT, Whistler and myself sat down to kind of go back and forth on BYU in Utah, the Big 12 versus the Pac-12. It was a really fun debate. And we'll you'll be able to hear that on tomorrow's edition of the podcast. But thank you once again for making us your first listen here. By the way, we'll also recap however things go for BYU in the West Coast Conference Tournament on Monday. Uh, best of luck to the Cougars in their second-round matchup uh, tomorrow night, Friday night, and obviously hoping to see them advance uh, to face off in the quarterfinals against LMU Saturday and hopefully have punched their ticket to the semifinals on Monday night. If that's the case, we'll be talking about that game on Monday. If not, we might be saying goodbye to the season for BYU on Monday's edition of the show. So tune in, stay with us. We'll, of course, have you covered all week and all season long with everything going on in BYU football, BYU basketball. Spring ball starts on Monday as well. It is going to be a crazy fun time to be a BYU fan, and I cannot wait to get it going with you guys. So thank you once again for joining us here. Now go make your second listen, our friends over the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Great way to get caught up on everything going on in the Big 12 conference. Josh Neighbors does an incredible job giving you a prize of everything going on in that conference. Get that free and available wherever you get your podcast. So until tomorrow, my friends, have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya.